The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. So uh, once again, we have a whole series of uh, really good questions um, lined up from um, our um, audience uh, on Twitter. Uh, our faithful listeners. And so th- thank you again for all the questions. Um, and let's dive right in. Um, so uh, Mataz Leonardis says, how much rare knowledge is there in the world in your experience? Um, or concretely, how often does it happen that there are less than 10 people you can think of that know about or can do something? Um, and you'd be skeptical, you can find anybody else that can. And then uh, Hugh No asks, how can I develop a view for the future? Uh, which I think is, a, is actually a very related question. So Ben, would you like to start yeah. on this one or would you like me to start? Uh, well, I, I'll start on the first part of the question um, and yeah. then I'll let you go in and start on the second part. But so way more than you would think. <laughs> There's a lot of rare knowledge and, you know, Mark and I like experience this in our jobs every single day. There's just, the world is really, really dynamic now. In fact, it's probably never been more dynamic, I think, kind of by any measure. And so what we see all the time is the old conventional wisdom uh, just ceases to be true. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen this, you know, one of our favorite examples is just uh, all the dot bombs <laughs> Um, that everybody made, you know, hysterical fun of um, during the early 2000s, all the idiotic, ridiculous, stupid ideas that people had for the future, which were just so obviously stupid, all eventually worked. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and it was a matter of, you know, kind of the underlying, you know, the underpinnings of the internet and other things changing um, to the point where those really bad ideas, you know, like pets.com or diapers.com or any of these kinds of things, they all work fantastically um, later, you know, as the world changed. And that all was super rare knowledge because the conventional knowledge was, of course, you know, those things are all the stupidest things ever. And you'd have to be some kind of moron to leave your high paying consulting job to do that. Um, but we continually see this. And in the firm, we even have kind of a rule, which is if you know too much about something, yep. you got to kind of back off <laughs> because, you know, you know what, particularly if you know, you know, historically what did not work, um, that can be dangerous knowledge in our business because you can miss, you know, you can miss it the next time when it actually does work. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we just see it all the time on, well, you know, one of my, kind of favorite investments that I've made was kind of, it was common knowledge in Silicon Valley that Hadoop had won big data, like architecturally, like that was the thing. It had won open source. It had hearts and minds, blah, blah, blah. It was going to be the thing. And I think, you know, probably the best and, you know, for sure one of the best investments I ever made was that that wasn't true. <laughs> uh, and so it's just like a small piece of rare investing knowledge, but a big piece of rare knowledge for the entrepreneurs who invented Spark and then, you know, later turned that into Databricks. Yeah, Ben, do you remember, um, we, so for uh, we invested in a company called Masira yeah. early on in the life of the firm, like 2009, yeah. 2010. And do, ben, do you remember the, um, 
we shouldn't name him, but we 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 had a meeting with a uh, a uh, I believe the CTO of one of the really big networking companies at the time. Uh, yeah. In our diligence. They were, yeah, and he, what he, he said. literally said it was against the laws of physics. It, it was right. impossible. They had already like studied it, you know, at length at yep. this very large, you know, important networking company, and you could not have a central uh, control plane in the way that um, Nasir proposed to do. And of course, you know, now Nasir inside of VMware is like a two billion dollar a year revenue company. Yeah, and then of course a, a classic, uh, a classic instance on the consumer side, of course, is that everybody knew right up until 2004 that consumers would never put their real identities online, right? Like that was the one thing that would <laughs> yeah. never happen. Never, then, never, like, never, never, never. Yeah. Right, and then of course Facebook like completely blew that open. Um, so the the twist that I want, there's a couple of twists that I wanted to put on this, or aspects of this very important question that I wanted to kind of get a little deeper into. So um, you know, for those of you who like think about these things, you you will have some of you will have at least read you know Peter Thiel's kind of famous book Zero to One and you know, he talks a lot in that book about, you know, what he calls the secret, right? Which is kind of this idea of the rare knowledge that other people don't don't use. And then he has this famous question that he asks. Uh, he kind of has dinner parties where he asks this question of like, what, you know, what what is the thing that you know that nobody else knows? Or he asks sort of a, you know, there's a sort of a related version of the question, which is what do you believe that nobody else believes? And of course, what's interesting is like th those, those are not necessarily the same thing. Um, and then on top of that... Um, there's this question of like, okay, is the rare knowledge something that is actually not known? Like it's actually a piece of information that's like invisible. And like, so for example, rare knowledge, let's take a hypothetical case, rare knowledge of a chemical formula that has been invented in a lab. And only the people who worked in that lab know that that formula exists and only they know what the formula is, right? Or, or maybe the formula for KFC yeah. seasoning might be, might be, might yeah. be another example, right? <laughs> right exactly. Something that's, you know, a formula that's literally locked in a bank vault. <laughs> 11 right? herbs and spices, but we do not know what they are. We do not know which ones. Um, so there, there's literally the rare knowledge is in the knowledge, literally like you can't get to it. And then there's this other kind of rare knowledge, which which goes to the second version of Peter's question of what do you believe that that, that nobody else believe nobody else believes or few other people believe, which is like the the rare knowledge of something that is actually like a fact um, that is actually completely like basically in 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 public view, right? It's it's right. it's like a thing that anybody can kind of walk up to or learn about or read about or like read on the internet about or like read an academic paper about or whatever it is. But it's just like people just simply don't believe it. Like they just don't buy it. Like they're not having it. You know, they just, they, you know, they found some reason to rule it out. By the way, they're often ridiculing it. Um, and so, Ben, the, the, the question I always think about on this is like how many of the secrets, right, or how much of the rare knowledge in the world, how much of it is literally the 11 herbs and spices that you can't go find out versus how much of it is the thing that's there in plain sight that everybody's just making fun of? Yeah, the plain sight definitely seems much bigger. <laughs> um, yeah. At least in you know in our work, we see many more of the plain sight ones. You know, one of my favorites uh, was kind of Airbnb, which um, you know had a kind of thing that was a little bit of a secret formula, and that they kind of just discovered there was a lot more demand um, for for renting your mattress <laughs> as as they started out than than one would have thought. You know, particularly if there was a big design conference in San Francisco. But the other one that was kind of really in plain sight was what was the history of hotels? Right. And like anybody could have known the history of hotels. Like when did hotels start? Well, they started a hundred years ago, um, but nobody really knew that. Like who knows that? Nobody knows that. Um, but they studied that 
uh, you know, after they found that out, I'm like, well, why did hotels come about? Why weren't they around before? And it turned out that, you know, there were, before that, there were inns and bed and breakfasts, um, but, like, you know, quality would vary a lot, and you couldn't really create a brand. There was no national media. There were, you know, there, the way there was at the turn of the, the previous century, and so that, that, that national media enabled you to create a national brand, and um, you know, and build this kind of common, you know, known quantity quality nationwide. But of course, once you knew that, you'd go, oh, well, now we have the internet. So, like, we don't need a brand. We can just rate every room, every, like, you know, bedroom, every house, every treehouse, every everything. Um, so everybody knows the quality of anything that they're staying in. And all of a sudden, you've got this amazing idea for a new kind of uh, lodging. Yeah, and in fact, you know, but if you think about it, like the idea of Airbnb was kind of in the Bible, um, which is like <laughs> you, know, G, you know Joseph, you know Joseph and Mary, yeah. you know they stay in the manger, and yeah. you know that worked out pretty well for them. And it's like you know I always think back, it's like every every you know every little kid at least in, in Western culture is like you know here's that story right because it's you know it's right there with Christmas. Um, yeah, and, um, yeah, it's universally known in Western yeah. culture. Yeah. yeah. And yet, like, you know, it's like, yeah, no, the, the, when Airbnb started, this this idea of people staying in each other's houses was just horrifying. Um, yeah. So it was like quite, you know, quite literally in plain sight. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But I think that, you know, that and, and you know, that's the to me, that's the exciting thing, you know, particularly if you're a young person getting into the workforce or or what have you. Um, there are all kinds of secrets running around everywhere. And then. There's this, you know, it's actually one of the great things, one of the great things, maybe the only great thing about this kind of mob mentality, cancel culture yep. thing that we have going is the conventional wisdom is so aggressive now yep. uh, that if you go against it, um, you are likely the only one. And then you've got an amazing invention that can change the world. So uh, it, it is a, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur in that sense. Yeah, and then this goes to the second question. Why I paired, why I paired the questions? You know, second question was how can I develop a view for the future? And th the way I think about this is there's basically two ways to develop a view for the future that flow right out of what we just talked about, right? So one is like try to come up with ideas that nobody else has had, right? So try to come <laughs> up with like a unique viewpoint of like literally new ideas, and of course <laughs> that's hard. Um, yes, the other much. is just right. Take you got to be really smart to do that. <laughs> yes, yes. A small number of people can do that. Most mm -hmm. of us can't do that. Um, the, um, uh, the, the other way to do it is, you know, quite literally believe things that other people aren't willing to believe, right. Or, or equivalently yeah. take seriously things that other people aren't willing to take seriously. Um, and I, and I yeah. think that's probably the, the most underrated approach, uh, for people who really want to have an open mind and a view of the future that actually gives them an advantage. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And that's true for like even small innovations, like how you organize your company or, you know, how you run a certain kind of program. If you do the opposite of what everybody in the industry is doing, you might come on across something that's much better. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the other thing, right. Well, the other thing that happens is revisionist history and we've got a, actually the next yeah. question is about history, but um, you know, <laughs> all history is revisionist, Mark. All history is revisionist, right? Generally what happens, like when, when a new, when I knew, when a new idea actually wins, right? When a new idea actually takes yeah. root and becomes conventional wisdom, sort of history gets rewritten so that everybody knew it was obvious the whole time. Yeah, uh, well, right, actually, right, interesting. Right, right, yeah. Both obvious and inevitable, right? Um, yes, yes. Right, um, and so, um, but if you if you were there at the time, or you actually get the true history of it, what you realize is actually that very much is not the case. The history just gets written by people who are basically covering from their own mistake. Yeah, 
uh, in that. Well, one of the most one of the most shocking pieces of technology history on that to me is always the internet because you know everybody like talks about it like of course it was always going to be the internet, but uh, <laughs> you recall like even after Netscape started and and was like pretty far along and got the venture funding and you know you had invented the browser and all these things. Like the conventional wisdom was like, no, it's absolutely not going to be the internet. It's going to be information superhighway, and the internet's insecure, and it's a bunch of it's an academic network, and there's just a bunch of weirdos on it, and blah 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 blah. Um, and now nobody would admit to that. Uh, and my favorite part yeah. of that is Bill Gates when he wrote The Road Ahead in the first edition. He didn't even mention the internet. He wrote a book about the future in 1995 that did not mention the internet, <laughs> not once. Yeah. And then he 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 revised it, of course, and you know, swap the internet in everywhere where he had information superhighway. <laughs> yeah. So the ultimate yep. revisionist, like the literal revisionist history on that one. Well, my other favorite uh, story from that is, well, while we were working on the browser at Illinois, um, the first issue of Wired Magazine came out. Um, and I, I literally bought it like off the news. I didn't know what it was. And I just bought it. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's a magazine called Wired with this, you know, amazing cover art. And these it's like stories about tech. And this is a new thing. So I bought it. And I literally took it back to my office where I was like writing code in the middle of the night. Um, and um, and I, I like read through the whole thing and like internet is not mentioned, right? Like it's yeah. a whole magazine about the future and there's nothing about the internet until I finally got to the last page, uh, the very last page. And it was the very last page. It was a column in the very beginning. The very last page of every issue was a column by Nicholas Negroponte, who was the director of the MIT Media Lab and like one of the most kind of prominent futurists you know, kind of, yeah. of, of that era. Um, and uh, the conceit of the column was it was an email from, the email address was listed as Nicholas at internet. <laughs> Neat. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Which, by the way, would Is be, that domain uh, still available, Mark? <laughs> that would be a good, um, it would be a good uh, email address. But, because uh, I remember yeah. thinking, I'm like, geez, like, you know, okay, I guess the good news is he's noticed it. The bad news is, like, they take it so unseriously that they can't even be yeah. bothered to like fake a real email address. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of was like, okay, I guess, I guess I should go back to writing code. Good. All right. So we'll, we'll call it here. Um, Benjamin, thank you. And to the entire audience and everybody who has questions. Um, thank you. And we will see you again very shortly. Yes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming. All right. See you all soon.